Yo, 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 what's good, everybody? Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of the Isaiah Kit Podcast. Welcome back. Wow. So we got um a lot to discuss. I know I missed last week. Um, you know, a lot of things I should have covered in the NFL or I'm doing week six, but week seven, interesting enough, I thought weeks I just give you a little you know, my thoughts from week six. I thought week six was really wacky. There were a couple, like, there was, like, a few stinkers, a couple surprising victories and upsets and so forth. Week six was really wacky in the NFL. I will say, this past week in the NFL, week seven, I felt like um, we learned a lot. Uh, but I, And I go furthermore uh, as I get into the episode, but... First and foremost, I'm your humble and highly favorite host, Isaiah Kitt of the Isaiah Kitt Podcast. Shouts out to everybody that's that is listening in the in attendance. Um, whether you are listening to this, well, oh, well, you might be listening to this later tonight. Um, you might be listening to it tomorrow morning. Shouts out to everyone that may be listening. That's going to hit play. All the first time listeners, all the regular listeners. If you if this is like you know. If you're just now catching on, like, you know, you just started listening throughout the NFL season, thank you, thank you, thank you as well. Um, And let's get into it. So, first, NBA season starts tonight. That's pretty exciting. Uh, got Lakers, Nuggets, Suns, Warriors. So, I might I might even do something. Uh, I might do, like, a little reaction after those games. I don't know. But. NBA season starts tonight, so I know a lot of our NBA people. I know a lot of people like looking for like NBA content, and I I give it to, I give it to you guys here and there. Um, but week seven, and like I said, week seven was a really great week of football. Um, even at the college level, there was a, there was a, there was a handful of like big matchups um, that took place. So I glance and you know quickly go over those as well. But week seven, we had a couple of teams, or I would say several teams, that I walked away and I had questions about. Like, or not questions, but it I had some questions, some doubt. Like I found out I, I feel I really feel like we learned a lot in week seven. And I, I think this is just how it goes with with the NFL. Like so, for so many people cover the NFL, so a lot of the opinions or reactions or thoughts can be a little um, cliche, but then also like a little overreactionary. So I don't want to. It's and it's only week seven. We're not even halfway through the season. We're about like more than a quarter, you know, into the season. Getting close to the halfway point, but I I do feel like you can learn and take away certain things within the first seven games, which like you know we got a, it's a pretty good sample size. Like we know what teams are good and what teams are like not like not good at all, right? And there might be different tiers to like the good teams. Like it, it seems to me that the 49ers and the Eagles are, are probably um, the top two teams in the NFC, but then there's like a there's a little drop off. Um, after those teams, but then in the AFC, it's loaded. Um, but I still feel really confident in Kansas City. And let's just start right there. Um, and the, I was gonna say, you guys, the cream of the crop always at some point 
eventually comes through and rise. Like, that's just what happens. Cream of the crop comes through and rise. And I, I could talk about the Chiefs beating the Chargers. It was a big win for the Chiefs, I would say, just in the fashion that they did it. Um, Mahomes and the offense was completely dominant now. It was against Brandon Staley and the Chargers defense, right? But the mere fact that they beat the Chargers, the Chargers are now two and four. The Raiders lost to the Bears. That was like a weird one, right? Um, and then the Broncos, yeah, they they beat the Packers, but they they stink as well. The Chiefs are going to probably have this thing packed up and wrapped up. Um, they're going to have the Division One by Thanksgiving, it's looking like. Like, I, I think that's a clear possible possibility, right? But a couple games that I really, really looked at and some teams that I really was like, okay, like the Lions, 5-1 and one Lions. And after week six, they were 5-1, and one, and, I, you know, I feel like parts of the media went crazy. And they went up against the Baltimore Ravens, who I thought was pretty good for as sitting at four and two. And I thought that was a test. I thought that was a test. Um, the Dolphins, they had a big game Sunday night versus the Eagles at Lincoln Financial. Both teams were five and one coming into the game. A lot of people had some questions about the Dolphins. So we get to that as well. Um. Let's start with the 49ers. And I know a lot of people like, I know like the Brock Purdy critics or doubters may come into play and, you know, they're going to, you know, they're going to bash him or whatever. And I don't, and it's not necessarily that I think Brock Purdy is elite. I don't, I don't know if he's elite. If I, if you had to, if I had to pick a side, like, no, I don't think he's elite. I do think he's good. But I think he has a ceiling, right? Like I think he has a ceiling, and I think that like if you're one, if you're expecting him to, you know, make Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes type plays, like that's just not gonna happen. But I think within the confines of that offense and those weapons that he has, he's good. He's good, and he's gonna he's gonna look good. Um, now a lot of Brock's game, he and if you don't know, the 49ers lost to the Vikings twenty two to seventeen. A lot of Brock's game is is predicated off of like timing and rhythm and anticipation. Like it, that's a lot of his that's a lot of his game. But and in a, in a tight game like this versus the Vikings on the road, Monday night primetime, when you lose the turnover battle, you're going to lose the game. And I and I kind of heard like Kyle talking about this after the game, like you're going to lose the game, and as I kind of talked about it already, I think he's good. I think Brock Purdy is good. I don't think he's elite. I don't think he's like this top five otherworldly quarterback, right? But with saying that, I he's not good enough to do that in tight games, right? Like, and I, I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna even stop comparing quarterbacks to Mahomes, or like I'm gonna just stop because Mahomes is in a different class. But not a lot of quarterbacks, if any in a tight game can like really afford to get away with turnovers, but especially a guy like Brock Purdy, he can't have that, that his like that first interception was bad. Like that was like, that was a bad interception. And I thought it, it kind of led to like the snowball effect um, to the Niners losing that game. Now 
I, I, I say all that to say, hey, Brock, I think Brock Purdy's going to be okay. I think the offense is going to be okay. They get Debo Samuel back at some point, and they get Trent Williams back at some point. I'm not worried about the offense. Uh, I think the offense will be okay. And I'm not even going to say I'm worried about the defense. But the defense does give me calls for Pauls because the Viking and, and give some credit, give, you know, a tip of the cap to Kirk Cousins, 35 of, of 45, and he threw for 300-plus yards. But the Vikings absolutely killed the 49ers with the screen game. And that's similar to what, like, the Browns' attack was. Like, the Browns killed the 49ers with the screen game. And I don't know. I just have my questions about Steve Wilkes. Their defense has to be elite and better for them to compete for a Super Bowl. Point by period. And I know they, I know the Niners only gave up 22 points, but it felt like they gave up like 32, 35 points. Like that's how much, that's how like fluent Minnesota's offense looked versus that Niners defense. And I, like I said, I think Brock Purdy's good. I think the offense is going to be good. But when we start talking about the Eagles, um, and, and mainly the Eagles, right? But then you you look across the other conference, you look at the Chiefs, you like their defense has to be elite. And it we've seen it be like we know the Niners defense, they got the Jimmies and Joes, but I feel like Steve Wilkes, I'm kind of questionable on the X's and O's. Like they they have dudes, absolute dudes on their defense. I just I I wonder, and I kind of you know these last couple weeks, I've been looking at the Niners, and I'm like, man, the, the defense, you know, on critical stops when plays need to be made, for either they're not being made, but more times than not, I don't even think the players are in position, like they're in positions to make the play. And it may sound like I'm going a little hard on the Niners, but they're the caliber team, and it's a standard that like. They got to be better, and their defense is too good, too talented to to let like a team. In like I said, tip the cap, tip of the cap to Kirk Cousins. Um, you know, Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback, right? Not you know, not elite, right? But a good quarterback, right? Like at his at best case scenario, he's borderline top ten, right? That's who Kirk Cousins is. But without Justin Jefferson. The Vikings shouldn't, their offense shouldn't have looked as fluid as it did versus that Niners defense. It just shouldn't have. So, like I said, I, I think Wilkes has been lacking, and that's what the league is about. The league, you know, you can have all the dudes if you want, right? Like, Niners, like I said, the Niners have dudes. They have talent all across that defense, but it's a chess match. Like, this league and these games are a constant chess match. And last two weeks, Steve Wilkes has been getting worked. Like, this is point play. He's been getting worked. Um, like I said, people could talk about Brock Purdy. And grant, granted, like, he, he started the season sky high first five weeks. Um, and it, 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 just, it just looked like the Niners were just destined to start the season 8-0, 10-0. Like, it, it, it just looked that way. They looked that dominant. But this is the ebbs and flows of NFL season. And that's why I say you don't want to react. You don't want to overreact. I'm not going to give you guys a massive overreaction. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think schematically and coaching-wise, defensively, I think it got to get better for the Niners. It has to get better for the Niners. 
So now I'm going to go to let's I want to talk about the Dolphins Eagles game where I feel like I want to I want to know and I I want to get a sense because I felt like from the Dolphins and Eagles game I learned more about the Dolphins, right? And I'm going to explain why. So I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the the Eagles and Dolphins game. Uh, I want to talk about the Bills and Patriots game and a little bit of the Lions and Ravens game. And let's just do Philly, Philly, Miami. And as I already said, Philly dom- physically dominated Miami and they should have, right? Um, that's like, I think that's Philly's offensively. They've been really pass happy this year. Um, and they they're just they just don't look in sync. Um, and it's not the same team. It, it, it may very well not be the same team. Um, I, I still think like they're really good, um, really really good. And they're I think their roster and how deep they are, um, at, like attack like it don't really get better than that in the league really. So like Jalen, I root for him. I like him. I like his story. I think he's great. But in the vacuum, the way he's playing right now gives it kind of gives you cause for pause, cause for concern. Um, and you know, obviously, yes, they have a new play caller or offense coordinator. I still think they're not running the ball as much as they should. Um, even utilizing him in the run game. Like, granted, I know he got paid. I, you know, you you don't want to, you know, injury. I, I get it. I get it. But. That's what that like that is kind of what made Philly last year offensively so dangerous and so potent where they had Sanders who had a really good year. He went off and got paid. Um then but Jalen Hurts was second on the team in rushing. And it was kind of like a one two punch um that, you know, I you know, DeAndre Swift is good, really good, but it's just not the same off like their running game is just not the same they can still physically match um anybody in this league but i i think they should try to utilize him and his legs a little more he in you know outside the tackle box when like when he gets outside the the, the pocket he can make throws down the field the aj brown and Devontae smith I, he does that really really well but man within the pocket at times he looks really uncomfortable and i've kind of seen that the last couple of weeks where you know the jets lost um you know even them you know this past sunday night he looked looked okay not bad not bad still a really good player not bad though but doesn't look as comfortable and as confident within the pocket and making those and making certain throws within the pocket. Um, But defensively they have guys everywhere. And then they added more talent in Kevin and and, and buyer. So in in buyer, they got buyer for a bag of chips and um, a bar of soap and a soda. I mean, they, they, they just straight up, you know, ransacked Tennessee uh, for all pro pro bowl caliber safety. So that's just more ammunition for Philly in on their defense. Um, they're like I said, they're they're good. 
I didn't really learn nothing too much about Philly. I I know they're physically they physically imposing. They can run the ball. Defense had probably its best, probably one of its best um, performances this year. Like I get it. I know. In terms of the Dolphins, and and coming into this game, this was I think some people kind of talked on it and hit on it where, you know, five and one. We can all admit that they're very, very much exciting. And I think a lot, I think for at least for me, I was really hesitant on putting the Dolphins not high on my list, because they've been high on my list because they have looked really good and they have looked impressive. But in terms of how I view them as a contender, or in terms of how how I view them versus I don't know, Kansas City. I was really skeptical of even putting them on the same level or tier as Kansas City. And there, there's a couple of reasons why. Like, I think the defensive personnel is just not good enough. I like Vic Fangio as a coordinator and as a defense. I think he's one of the best defensive coordinators, coordinators in pe- pe- like period in the league. But I don't know about their defensive personnel. I, I still have calls for pause for that. But then we also seen them. We this is now twice, twice where we've seen the Dolphins on the road versus what we what most of us tend to believe quality, really good contending teams. I get to the Bills because I, I got to talk about them too. But they were on the road. They went to Buffalo. They get they get just mopped, mollywopped. Go to Philly. 31-17, this, I, I, I would say the game was a little bit closer than that than what the score might indicate. I don't I think it was the game was a little the game felt a little bit more closer than that. But in actuality, they lost. And they only had one possession, one offensive drive where they scored a touchdown. So like I said, and I don't want to have a massive overreaction. Like, because we we are all so invested in the NFL. Like, even with, like, in, with the NBA coming back, we're going to watch, a lot of people going to watch opening night, you know. They're going to watch the games that come on throughout the week and so forth, right? NBA get a lot of coverage the first week. It'll slow down. People will start to tune in more in, on Christmas. And then right before the All-Star break, it'll start to pick back up. That's not how it is in the NFL, right? Like that's just not how it. That's not how it is. It's a, it's a week to week thing, and we all we're all watching. All eyes are on these games, and it's nice and spread it out. You got you know every Sunday, and then occasionally on Thursday and Monday, on two other weekdays. It's it's nice and condensed and easy, easily. Um, like it's you can just follow it easier to follow than baseball or basketball. So I don't want to overreact, but how good are they? Like, how good are the Dolphins? I think, like, you know, their offense, highly, highly explosive. You know, Tyreek Hill is absolutely phenomenal. The speed that the Dolphins have is awesome and exciting to watch. Mike McDaniel, young, electrifying play caller. And Tua has had his moments where he looks pretty good. 
But do they feel close to Kansas City? Watching Baltimore this past weekend, how, how would I don't I would be I'm really curious to see Miami versus like are they uh upper echelon AFC team? I don't know. I don't know. The Dolphins feel to me this is just to me first 7 games and they like I said it matters who you play, right? I mean, granted, they have had a I would I would say they have had a relatively soft schedule. Week one, played the Chargers, right? And we kind of we we kind of see where that Charger thing is going, right? Brandon Stelly's gonna probably be out of job, out of a job this you know once the season ends. Um, Chargers just. Talent wise, they look they look like they're a 10 11 win team. In actuality, they're gonna be scraping and scarring for eight wins this year, it looks like. Right? Play New England. Okay, you know, you know, Belichick, quality coach, but the team isn't good. Then they put up 70 versus Denver. Okay, cool. Yeah, like, you know, 70 Denver Broncos aren't that good. Then they go to Buffalo, get curve stomped. Then they beat the Giants, they handle the Giants, and then they handle Carolina. So you get the gist. And just to me, they feel closer to a a team that could win a playoff game than actually going into Arrowhead and possibly beating and upsetting the Chiefs. They feel closer to a team that is going to just win one playoff game. Um... And I don't know. That may even be a stretch. But you look at the remaining of their schedule. You know, they lost to Philly, but then they got to play New England. They do eventually play Kansas City at Kansas City. So that'll be another game where we'll be closely anticipating and closely watching the Dolphins to see, trying to figure out if they're legit or not. But after Kansas City, they have the Raiders. They have at they have the Jets. They got the Commanders. They got the Titans. They got the Jets. They got the Cowboys. They got Baltimore. They got Buffalo. And ultimately, I think the Dolphins are going to probably end up with a really good record. And they're going to probably end up winning their division. But in terms of how serious can I take them as a Super Bowl contender as of week seven, I can't buy it. I can't buy it. And Tua feels like a limiting factor, right? Like I think Tua, like I said, Tua's had his bright moments, and he's had really good. He's had really good moments, and he's looked good at moment, like throughout moments of this year. Looks really good, right? But there's just certain throws outside the numbers. You ask him to drop back, multiple progressions. You know, maybe he's facing some pressure. Can he still make those throws at a high clip at a long? Like mm, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And that is why I'm, you know, are the Dolphins closer to a team that's going to win their division and they're going to get a favorable matchup in in the wild card, they win their game, and they lose in the divisional weekend? Or do they feel closer to a team that can go into Arrowhead, AFC Championship game, upset Kansas City, and go to the Super Bowl? I don't know. 
I feel like they feel closer to a one-and-done kind of playoff team. I, that's They kind of feel closer to that. So And they do get to play Buffalo again. They do get to play Kansas City. They do get to play Baltimore. They get to play these teams. So we'll see. We'll be watching. We'll be watching. You know, we'll, we'll be watching. And, you know, speaking of Baltimore, Baltimore put an absolute thumping, absolute ass-whooping on the Lions. And I, I think the Lions' story is really, really good, right? Um, a team, I, I felt like the Lions were one of the more easier predictions this year in terms of predicting, like, what they can do. And I know people say, oh, it's, it's the Lions, so you're never quite sure. Right, You're right. It is the Lions. But the Lions are going to comfortably win their division. I thought I thought the ass-whooping that they got in Baltimore was kind of like – like Detroit is is a physical team. Like that's who they are. Dan Campbell, um, you know, he's kind of like a meathead, right? But like got to give him his props. But he, he kind of has like this physical hard presence – they run the football. The Lions get really good. They their their offensive line is really good, and it feels like you know they're able to bully the Packers and they're able to bully these other teams that they have been able to play. But then they ran into like a whole other bully, and they ran into an AFC North team, and it 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 got real. It got it it got real, and I and with that game, the Lions. I don't even know if they like. First four drives, touchdown, 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 touchdown. Ravens, you look up, Ravens was up 28 nothing. That game was over. I the Lions weren't there. I guess the Lions weren't there. They I guess they didn't come to play. I don't know at all. And you, I asked myself, did I learn more about the Lions or did I learn more about the Ravens? Well, I feel like I learned more about the Ravens. Lions, like I said, I thought they were one of the easier predictions to make playoff team right you look at their division i wasn't too fond of their division and i was like hey lions they got a lot of good momentum come off of last year they added some more defensive talent they were really good offensively i think they can win 10 11 games it looks like they're gonna probably do that and win their division pretty smoothly but with the baltimore ravens you now have to question or not even question but now the, the the talk of Lamar Jackson. I've thought I and and people know, um, people know that I, you know, when I when, how I feel about Lamar Jackson, and I think Lamar Jackson is awesome. Um, he deserved to be paid. Glad he got paid. And you can, I don't know, I, I get a I get a different feel from Lamar. He looks like he looks more confident, and he looks like he's more at ease, like. Got them. He got the long term deal, you know. First time in a long time where I can kind of like I can comfortably look at Baltimore, and they're like look at their skill position at like a receiver and so forth, and be like, man, they 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 got guys that can play. Zay Flowers seems like he's going to work. OBJ still trying to round into form. Um, I like Rashad Bateman, you know, he's had some, he's had some, some low moments, but I like, I like Rashad Bateman. I see the, I see the potential. Zay Flowers, I think is an absolute hit. And then Mark Andrews is, he's always been super productive, 
So I look at Baltimore, and for the first time, I mean, I, I would say for the first time since Lamar has been their starting quarterback, I can look at their receiver group and like, okay, they got they got some guys, you know, they got some guys. They got some guys that can play, that can that can get open, right, and make some plays. Baltimore feels a little bit different. You, A lot of people that listen to me and that know how I feel about the Ravens, it's, it's not so much about their talent. I like on paper. I like what they have on both sides of the football. I just question can their impact premium players stay healthy throughout the course of the season? Up until this point, I've kind of been proven right, right? Like th- some of their impact guys have missed time. Um, now, granted, not a lot of time, and there hasn't been a lot of serious injuries, but granted, they've been hurt. So I look at the I'm looking at the Ravens. I feel a little I feel I think the Ravens are better than the Dolphins. I feel like they're a more complete team than the Dolphins. I feel like the Ravens have more ways to win football games than the Dolphins. I don't know. I thought the I thought the Ravens by far this week played the best game of any team in the league. I felt like the Ravens played by far they played the most complete and best game throughout week 7. Undoubtedly Undoubtedly. Um, so I wanted to get into a couple other things. Wanted to talk about um we're gonna get into college football at the latter end of this. I'm gonna continue to walk down week seven and some of the other um some of my other thoughts and reactions from week seven as well. All right, so another game that I saw um uh, on Sunday that I, I was like, oh, I'm going to turn into it because I had the I had four games on it at once. And I'm like, okay, who knew the Browns and the Colts game would be one of the best games of the day? And it, it was. The, the the Browns and the Colts game was absolutely um, entertaining. It was really entertaining. But besides the Browns' defense, uh, defense kind of, you know, gave up some points. Uh uh, more points than they what they have all uh, throughout the year, but they got some crucial turnovers. Miles Garrett is an absolute animal. But speaking of that, like I walked away from the game, and I started thinking about Deshaun Watson. And if we're being, if we're gonna be like totally, totally objective, since he's become a member of the Cleveland Browns, he has been absolutely. Awful. Like he's been a bad player. He's not even like this. And I feel really bad for Browns fans and for this team because, and it's, I mean, the Deshaun Watson thing is already kind of everything surrounding. It feels like it's such a weird feeling when it, when, when, when discussing Deshaun Watson, like objectively, right? Like, he doesn't look nowhere remotely close to the guy that led Clemson over Bama in the national championship game or the guy that we saw for uh, a few years in Houston. Like, he doesn't look remotely close to that, and he's not getting back to that. Like, I'm sorry to break it to people, um, Browns fans, Deshaun Watson supporters, he is not getting back to that form. He's not getting back to that form. 
like at all. And there's just there's there's just red flags everywhere. First and foremost, never, ever, ever. The guaranteed contract thing, it's never gonna happen again. It is never gonna happen again. Deshaun Watson is basically he has become incentivized not to play. He and granted, I know the shoulder injury, cool. Um, his stat line for his the game on Sunday where he got knocked out. Well, that's a whole nother situation. But his stat line was one for five, five yards and an interception. He gets hit pretty hard. He hits the turf. He has to do the concussion protocol. He clears the concussion protocol. It's weird because Brandon, I mean, because Savansky is like, uh, I mean, we, we're going to protect our franchise quarterback and so forth. And the whole the whole thing, you don't know what, what to like really believe. The whole thing is really weird. But you look, you like, you take away, you look at this Browns defense and what they're capable of, and you see the talent at every level. I mean, Miles Garrett just physically and athletically is so imposing. This team is not that far away from making a run. Like, like legitimately, they are not that far away from making a run. They don't need, like, awesome quarterback play. And for the people, first, I never quite understood the whole Deshaun Watson was a top five quarterback talk kind of thing. Like people kind of reminisce off of him being a top five quarterback. He, in my opinion, he was never a top five quarterback. And I like I I just want to know like what year did you think Deshaun Watson was a top five quarterback? Because if it was if it was the year in twenty twenty where they went four and twelve then that ain't a good example. Like that ain't good, that ain't a good example. And yeah, his numbers look really good. He put up some great numbers, great stats, but a lot, lot of those numbers you peel back the layers were 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 garbage. Garbage numbers, gar- garbage stats. And the problem with the Browns in this situation is they owe him million guaranteed every single goddamn penny. (laughs) Like, they owe him every single penny, right? And that's like the $230 million, the $230 million. That's what everybody's talking about. That's what everybody's talking about, and rightfully so. The $230 million is important to note. And with Watson, I I don't know. I just don't... And it's okay, but the dude just doesn't seem like he wants it anymore. He, I told you guys this a couple weeks ago or earlier in the season. I was like, Deshaun Watson looks like a hot mess. Like he looks, he just looks like he does not want any part of it. I mean, he obviously has to play to get the money, um, but it doesn't matter what the Browns do. They can cut him. They can trade him. Um, they they have to they have to pay this guy. They have to pay this guy. So I did a little like little quick up little quick update recheck, you know, little research, and I found this so interesting. 
because I know how the Browns, when they gave him the the guaranteed deal, they kind of figured he was going to miss some time and he was going to be suspended by the league. So I know how they manipulated the contract and basically they weren't paying him anything because, you know, they didn't want to, obviously, he's going to get suspended. They didn't want to pay him, you know, whatever lump sum amount and he was going to be suspended. So they manipulated the cap number, his contract, the little, little cap number. But then I looked at it this year. Cap hit is only $19 million. So when we're talking about Deshaun Watson, we look at the overall, the grand scheme of the $230 million, right? $19 million cap hit is not that bad. But then in the year 2024, 2025, 2026, his cap hit jumps to nearly $64 million each year. $64 million. That will be his cap pick next year. So I pointed that out because I'm like, this Browns team, they like his cap, his cap hit number is not that low. I mean, it's not that high. That's not all that's not low either. But it's rel- like rel- like relatively speaking, when you got a like a superstar quarterback, $19 million cap hit is not that bad. So you're able to fill out and fill out pieces of your roster and kind of like build and stack up your squad. And that's why point point case. That's why this defense is so loaded because the Browns had the cap space and the flexibility to do so. And it kind of feels like if it don't happen this year, it it, is, it's probably not going to happen next year because you look at it. It's like, okay, moving forward they're they're going to lose this cap space. And in the grand scheme of things, it's okay if you're if you're a guy that you're paying is elite. Hey, sidebar. The guy that they're paying, he's not elite. And he's nowhere near being elite. And he probably won't ever be elite. That's a problem. So they better go all in this year because it, it seems like if they don't like it seems like he doesn't want it anymore. And if they don't like, if they don't go all in this year and you know put the put a get put together a run, try to win a playoff game or something, or win a playoff game or two. I mean, man, it, it it's only gonna get worse because the cap that cap number is going to put restrictions and limitations on what the Browns can do, and you know trying to add more sweet upgrades and sweet players and talent, right? Like, and also, not to mention, you, you, you're you also limited not just with the cap space and the financial, like, the financial side of it, but then you also gave up draft capital. And that's what makes, that's what kind of makes this Deshaun Watson contract one of, if not the worst, in NFL history. Because... Not only is he's going to put he's going to put restrictions on what you can do financially to buffer and add to your roster, but then you're going to probably have to let some guys go. But then also you don't have like the draft capital. At least 
when team when certain teams go all in and they're paying their quarterback and they got to cut corners in other places, they're able to draft and replenish and put in some younger get some younger contracts in. Browns can't even do that. So if they like if they don't do something this year, it's gonna look really dim because the Browns defense is awesome. They got a they got a hell of a defense. They have a hell of a defense. But the cap hit, the $19 million cap hit, going from $19 million to $64 million, and it's $64 million for for three straight years, that is insane. Like, Like, that is insane, and the Browns are fucked. Because I don't know how you, I don't know how you remove her and you know try to add quality pieces when you know the money isn't there the mo- like the money isn't there and like i said like it's the grand scheme of things when when teams give out these type of deals well no team gives out a guaranteed deal right but but when when teams are paying their quarterback a large percentage of the cap and their quarterback takes up a huge cap number or has a huge cap number the guys like Mahomes and Josh Allen and you know they can they can make it work because they're elite and that's why you pay them but when you got when you do that with a guy like Deshaun Watson or a guy like Russell Wilson where they're no longer elite and Deshaun Watson he's a little bit younger than Russ Deshaun Watson that's I think it's a little bit worse because at least Russ is like in his mid 30s Deshaun Watson he's not even 30 yet and he's like he's not a good player and he hasn't been a good player for a few years now. And I don't know about you guys, but I've never seen an athlete be start off his career pretty good, then go missing for like two years, then he like go he sucks, then he gets good again. Like I've never seen that. So the likelihood of him like being good again, I don't know. I think it's very slim to none. But luckily, this Browns team this year is so good, and they're de- like not even just their defensive pieces, but they got some sweet they got some sweet pieces on offense, and they can run the football. They got Amari Cooper is really good. Like they got nice pieces on offense. I mean, you if if they just get top fifteen quarterback play, this Browns team is is a playoff team. Not only a playoff team, but with the style of play. They can win a playoff game if they can just get competent quarterback play and get a quarterback that can make a few plays here and there and a few throws down the field. Like that's literally what they need. They don't need they don't need Deshaun Watson. That's the funny, that's the funny part. They don't even need Deshaun Watson. Granted, they expected Deshaun Watson. The Browns were expecting that they they get the Deshaun Watson that we saw at Clemson in his years in Houston, right? And sadly enough, if if they could get that, they'd be one of the best teams in the AFC because their roster and their defense is that sweet. Sadly, they won't even get that. But not only them not getting that, they won't even get competent quarterback play from him because he is he's he's been awful. That's kind of that's kind of like that's that's one of the rough ones. If you're a Browns fan. That is one that is kind of hard to swallow because 
that's rough. That's rough. That's rough right there. That's rough. Um, Bills. Bills losing. The Buffalo Bills lost to the Patriots. And is I don't think it's not as shocking as people are making it out to be because Belichick, Belichick first, you look at his, the Patriots got two wins on the season. Their only two wins are to the Dolphins and to the Bills. So I don't think, I don't find it coincidental that the only teams that the Patriots have been able to beat this year are actual teams in their division. Belichick has probably so, so, so much tape and film on all of his division opponents. I'm sorry. I said the Dolphins and the Bills. I meant the Jets and the Bills. He's he continues he continue he consistently beats the Jets. Um he gives the he like Josh Allen, he kind of plays Josh Allen really really rough um and tight. So people are kind of like, "Oh my god, the Bills lost to the Patriots." It's like I don't I think it's more so not them losing to the Patriots, but I think it's more so in the fashion in how it looked like the Patriots were able to, they were able to score 29 points. Like if the Patriots offense is able to put up 29 points and if Mac Jones is able to go eight plays, 75 yards down the field game on the line. Oh man, you got some big, you got some major flaws and red flags um, as a team. If, if you allow that to happen. Right. So not surprised that bill like that Belichick, you know, was able to come out with the win. He was at home, like, not surprised, right? Like, cool. I think it's the fashion. And with this Bills team, they have to find a way to be more consistent. But I'm now starting to wonder, you know, I was talking about the Dolphins earlier, and I think the Dolphins, they're going to be a playoff team. And I think this Bills team, you know, I think they're too talented at certain spots where they're going to miss the playoffs. But I do look at this Bills team, and I'm, I i don't think they're a Super Bowl contender. And when people – this is why people kind of wonder and question if they hit their ceiling already, already. Because I'm struggling to figure out how good they are. Like, granted, you know I was talking about Miami. And I was asking, is Miami closer to like a one-and-done team or are they like are they a real legitimate threat to the Chiefs? Feels like they're closer to a one and done team than actually like having a great chance and in going into Kansas City and beating Kansas City in the playoff game, right? Like I think that's what that's my conclusion up until this point. With the Bills, I they're not remotely close to the AFC's best either. Um, I think if they played the Ravens, I think the Ravens would win today. I really do. Um, maybe if maybe I mean, granted, they I know they beat Miami pretty badly, but could Miami Miami give them a good game again later on this year? I think they will. I don't know. I look at this Bills team, and I granted they have suffered a lot of injuries, especially to that defense and especially to that secondary. Like they have lost some impact guys, so I can't overlook that. But then. I, I just look at, you know, Josh Allen, highs and lows. I feel like this, for the, for the way that they lost to the Patriots, it, it it's really head-scratching, and it has you wondering, like, what are the re- – can anybody – can you talk to anybody about the Bills objectively? 
and ask them, what elements do this Buffalo team have that makes them a Super Bowl contender, a true Super Bowl contender? Because from my standpoint, from my view of it, the only argument or the only thing that I can say which makes them like a Super Bowl threat or what could, get, what could give them a chance is Josh Allen's quarterback play and his and his capabilities. But even, even then, Josh Allen gets a little loosey-goosey, turns over the football, and he can some he just get into he gets into bad slumps. This Bills team, I don't know. They got a lot of questions. I wonder, you know, is is Sean McDermott how is how is his job security if Buffalo don't win multiple playoff games this year? You know, you, you get the wonder and you started asking you start asking questions. And like I said, it's week seven, but I feel like we kind of know how this story goes with this Bills team. They'll be a good team. They'll finish with their 10, 11 wins. But in the nitty-gritty of it all, can we actually sit up here and talk and call them true contenders? I don't know. I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure if I can do that yet. Um, we're going to shift gears to USC losing back-to-back games. I'm going to give you my thoughts on Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams. Um, and the direction the Trojans are looking, looking like where they're going after this quick break. All right, so like I said, I'm going to get to Lincoln Rally and the Trojans. They now have dropped back-to-back games. Um, and I'll let's just start right here. I think some of the mistakes and some of the things we see on the defensive side of the ball, I think you can shore up. You can shore these things that go wrong with a new with a new defensive coordinator. So, cause like for the last twelve months, people been telling Lincoln Riley, "Hey, I know Alex Grant is your good friend, but you should fire him." Right? Like, just the results defensively are just not there. But I'll say this to the defense's credit: that Notre Dame loss was not on the defense. That Notre Dame loss was on the offense. That was the off that was the game. That was a game that the offense gave up. Because and I say that because the defense gave up 13 points to Notre Dame when they didn't start a drive in plus territory. So and the reason that and, and that's part of the reason that's more that's the reason, the sole reason why I'm like the defense did not give up that game. The offense put the defense in back in back breaking, bending situations with turnovers, um, because you see the result when Notre Dame actually had to drive the length of the field like a, a regular possession. Defense only gave up thirteen points, but I think the real regression that we should be focusing and looking at, or probably we've been missing is the offensive line play, but then overall the offense, right? And, of course, I'm going to get to Caleb Williams. You know, I, I think Caleb, he's an awesome talent. Like, awesome talent. He's going to be the first pick. I don't think he should sit out, right? I, I Like, there is a chance for USC to win the Pac-12. Now, will they? I highly doubt it. Um, 
I think there's I think there's at least three teams that's like better, but I, I so I highly doubt they win the Pac-12, but he shouldn't sit out. He, I I just don't I don't I don't like the look um, of that like he's quitting after too long. Like I don't like that look. Um, there's still a chance for him to for them for the Trojans to win the Pac-12. Um, so that that path is still there. College football playoff, back to back Heisman, probably unlikely. Uh, playoff is unlikely for sure. Um, Heisman unlikely. But he does a lot of he does. I feel like just watching the games, and I've watched I've watched SC last year. I watched all their games last year. Um, I've watched most of their games, a vast majority of their games this year. I've watched the big games this year. I watched the Colorado games and so forth. Uh, Utah and all that. He does a lot more ad living than he did last year. And it just seems and some of it just seems a little off structure, out of structure. And it, it's like he's drifting off and doing his own thing. And this is kind of like the gift and the curse of Caleb, where which separates him, pocket presence, his pocket play, and his play in the pocket is really good. But what separates him is his ability to ad lib, extend plays, make plays outside the pocket as the play, as the initial or the original play is breaking down. Like that is what he does. He's magical when he does it, and it like it's it's hella fun to watch. But I also think in that same instance, he kind of puts himself in harm's way. And, and and like like I said, this year just with the eye test, I don't I don't know. I could be I can be I can be wrong. I could be wrong, but just from the eye test, from what I've been seeing, it it's a lot more ad libbing and it's a lot more of him just doing his thing. I don't know. I don't know. That's just the, that's just my assessment, and it's crazy because a lot of scouts, GMs. Uh, player personnel, talent evaluators. When judging or evaluating a quarterback in 2023, the skill like that most most of these elite quarterbacks that they like the, the skill that they all usually have in 2023 is that ability, that ability to ad lib, create when nothing's there, extend the play being able to play make outside of the regular progressions or the first or second progression. That's what a lot, that's what all of us, that's what the scouts, that's what the GMs, that's what the analysts, that's what everybody is essentially looking for at the quarterback spot. So if you have that trait, that skill, that's huge because like, that's like, wow, like that kind of puts you, that kind of gives you some like, Oh, this guy probably has elite potential or he has the chance to be elite because of this. That's why we love Caleb so much. That's why we really like Drake May, because they both have that type of ability. But it's a gift and a curse. And I remember years ago in Seattle with Russell Wilson um, and his offensive line, like people would give – people was giving Seattle's offensive line some shit because – so much shit because Russell was like the most hit quarterback or the most sacked quarterback since he had entered the league. And, you know, former players come out and offensive line came out like, hey, you know, Russ is great, but he leaves the pocket and he extends plays and 
kind of does this hero ball thing and it's okay because it it was working out and it it was it was working in Seattle but a lot of the times Russ would a lot of those sacks it's like we look at the sack number we're like oh man the offensive line is bad but it's like no quarterback can call sacks too quarterbacks can run into sacks and that's what some of that's some of it what that's what some of it was in Seattle with Russ right holding the ball on too long um trying to make a play running around he get hit get sacked and we like we just automatically put that on the offensive line but sometimes quarterbacks like it's that's difficult it's already difficult enough to be an offensive lineman where the dns the d tackles they're bigger faster and stronger than ever now you're telling me i gotta like account for my mobile quarterback that's going to move around the pocket, outside the pocket. I can't go downfield. I, like, it's just, it makes the job much more harder. So, Caleb is kind of going like, he's kind of developed this hero ball thing. And let's be honest, I, all of us are guilty of, like, an anointing players early. Some of this is like, okay, he kind of has to do this. Because this is kind of like, this has become, this has become like the bread and butter to their offense. But he's a generate Caleb's a generational talent with Kate with his, like his talent and his abilities and capabilities is generational. But I'd be thinking like, he's not a generational prospect, right? Like great prospect, like awesome prospect. But like relatively, when we think about like generational prospects, Paid Manning, John Elway, uh, um, Andrew Luck, Trevor Lawrence, those guys. What those guys usually have in common is like they're six four ish or taller. Caleb's relatively short; he's six one, and but he, he's built kind of like thick, so got a got a good body. But we're seeing his flaws. Versus the Utahs and the Notre Dames, the high end, high end quality defensive players, NFL guys that can be playing on Sunday, we're kind of seeing those flaws, and he'll still go first. He'll be the first pick, still whatever. But I, I, I just, I don't. With and we got to give some credit to Utah, man. Kyle Winningham is a top five coach in college football. I'm sorry, like. He, he just is. Utah is the most unappreciated, least talked about, most like they're the most dominant, least talked about program in college football. Like they're winning games. They're a top 10 team without their, not only their starting quarterback, but they're down to their third string quarterback. And their third string quarterback went on the road at SC and won a football game. Like, Kyle Winningham, I don't know what it is, but we got to, like, like Kyle, like Utah consistently wins 10, 11 games year in, year out. They're back-to-back Pac-12 champions for a reason. Like, they're they're that good. Kyle Winningham is that good. He he is arguably a top-five coach in college football, point play period. Um, And I just, like I said, I don't want to put everything, pin everything on Caleb because it's not. He's he's terrific. You got to start with the guy at top, and it's Lincoln Riley. And 
in terms of what he's doing in the program with like banning reporters and not allowing NFL scouts uh, to show up or not having the players talk, I feel like some of the priorities are kind of messed up. And it feels like Lincoln, he's trying to, he's losing control a little bit. And I just start to question and wonder, like, will he, will Lincoln slash can he ever emphasize and just care a little bit about defense? Like, Lincoln Riley, he gets offense. Like, that 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 should not even be, uh, like, obviously, yes, duh, he gets offense. He's always going to be able to evaluate the quarterback position, the running back position, and the receiver position accordingly. That is not the issue. But can you scout an elite-level linebacker, an elite-level D-tackle, an elite-level safety? Like, I don't know. We don't know. So when I so when I hear and I and you guys, my listeners know, I defend Lincoln Riley all day. Before the season started, I, I was answering questions about college football and or topics. And the one topic was, is Lincoln Riley overrated? And I was like, no, he's probably and for me, in my opinion, he's properly rated because no one puts him in that Saban. Kirby smart like we don't put him in that tier we acknowledge that he's great offensively and when it comes to offenses in the country like it's Lincoln Riley Ryan Day like those guys are great offensive minds but we don't we don't put Lincoln Riley in this top tier of college football coaches a lot of it is because of the mere fact that we just haven't seen the balance of, okay, he has a great offense, but his defense is also pretty good too. No, defense has been ass. Like, like his defense has been shitty at OU and at SC. Like, it, it has not changed. Like, I'm just – I'm sorry. So, like, the lack of college football playoff wins, cool, right? I You guys can go back before the season even started. I was defending Lincoln Brown. I'm like, he's not overrated. No rated. Because I typically don't, I don't put him in the same class or um or the same tier or group as Saban and um Kirby Smart. Like I don't I, I just don't. I think he's great offensive mind, right? But defenses leave a, a sure as a hell lot to be desired. And I wonder could he figure out. And that's the thing with I don't get the whole he's the perfect NFL coaching candidate. I don't get it. I don't get it. He he because granted he understand the offense, but I kind of talked about it a couple weeks ago. These great, even the great offensive minds in the league, they are able and they have enough wherewithal and enough awareness where, like, okay, my thing is offense. But I'm going to get somebody, If even if I don't know defense, I'm going to get somebody that knows defense. Mike McDaniels, I, pray him, I praise him all the time because it's like not only is he so innovative offensively, but also he understands and gets like, hey, I got to hire someone. Even if, even if I don't give a damn about the defense, 
I got to hire somebody that does and that understands it and that's really good at it. You know what he did? He hired Vic Fangio. Like McVay, Kyle Shanahan, these guys, great offensive minds. But McVay, he's had Wade Phillips. He's had Raheem Morris. Um, Well, he had Brandon Staley too, but, <laughs> you know, that's you guys know how I feel about Brandon Staley. But you get the gist. Like he's had great defensive coordinators. Same could be said for Cal, where Cal, he, you know, he's had Robert Sala. He's had the D'Amico Ryans. He's had really high-end, good defensive coordinators. If Lincoln Riley got an NFL job, granted, I think he'll figure out the offensive thing because I think he's that brilliant. Who in the hell is he hiring for the defense? Who in the hell is he hiring for defense? We don't know. We we do not know. We do not know. And I'm kind of I, I was thinking about this because with Lincoln, I'm like, what what is it? Because even with a guy like Kyle Shanahan, where he cares about his offense and he's an offensive guy, but Kyle's like physical too. Like those this 49er teams are physical and the defense is physical. I, I, I don't I, I told you guys this too. Lincoln has to have some type of philosophy change. And when it comes to any profession in life or or um, any job or any any profession, you kind of have a mentor or you, you or you have someone that kind of gives you like some tutelage. Right. And it's the same in football with the coaching trees, whatever coaching tree you stem from. It kind of molds and shapes you into the philosophies and into the identity and how you look at the game as a coach. Like your football tree, your coaching tree, that that's what kind of molds you, your mentor molds you, and it shapes your ideas and your principles and how you look at the game of football. And I told you guys before the season started, Lincoln Rowley has to – he at some point he's gonna have to slightly alter the way he looks at the game. But you think about who his mentor is. His mentor, God rest his soul, is Mike Leach. Mike Leach, great offensive mind, but gave no dams about about defense. <laughs> like gave no dams about defense. Belichick is a parse. He's a parcel. He's from the Parcells disciple. So like, Belichick is hard minded. Defense, old school, that's Parcells. That's Belichick, right? Sean McVay, his grandfather was um was it the GM? He put the he was he was a key figure in putting to putting apart the 80, 40, the, the eight the 49ers in the 80s. You know, like who where you come from and the like the tutelage or your mentor where you played. All of that kind of stems and shape up your football brain. And, like, it, it, it kind of, like, shapes, like, how you look at the game. And with Lincoln, we clearly know that's how he looks at the game. But with the, the guy, like, the McVeighs and the Shanahans, like, McVay, like I said, grandfather was a key contributor in putting the pieces together for, for the 49ers in the 80s when they were winning all the Super Bowls, right? Like, that that's what he – that's that's part of his coaching tree, right? Uh, like Kyle, the the Shanahan coach, the Shanahan coaching tree, 
Mike Shanahan obviously loved the zone reads, the zone running scheme. Kyle has taken that. McVay has taken that. Like, that's what shit, LaFleur, all of these guys, that's, they all take little remnants and pieces of that. Uh, Kellen Moore, he's a Chris Peterson guy. He likes to do the tricky shit. Like, that's, that's his, that's their MO. Andy Reid, he played at BYU in the 80s where BYU really it was like the only team throwing the football across the field in the 80s in college football. 35 years later, Andy Reid still loves to throw the football. He, you know, Andy, he'll he run it a couple times, but Andy loves to throw the football. And he's t- he's that's tried and true. And with, Link, with Lincoln Riley, where he, Mike Leach, like, he is a he is a offensive, he's heavy driven, offensive minded, like heavy on it. He's heavy on the offense. And at some point, there's gonna have to be like a shift. And I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's why I said maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. You have to be able to adapt, though. That's what makes Saban the best. That's what makes Saban the best college football coach of all time because he his ability to adapt saving defensive minded saving but the the way he was winning the way he won his first two three national championships was not the way that he won his last two three national championships first couple national championships he did it with defense running the football game control managing the clock that's how they won it that's how lsu won it that's how he won it at bama his last couple of national championships, he's been throwing it all across the yard. He got Tua, got Mac Jones, he got mobile quarterbacks. He's just, I mean, four first round receivers. Like the, the, the it's changed. It changed. He was able to adapt to the modern day of college football, where it wasn't just okay. You can just ball control and win games. 13 to 8 or 13 to 9. Like, no, you can't do it like that. You can't win like that. You got to win some shootouts. You got to be able to put some points up. Saban is active. I, Lincoln, that's the next step for him as a, like as taking that next step, getting to that level. He has to change the way he looks at the game. Got to alter it a little bit. Got to start caring about defense, especially going into the Big Ten. But – um, I'm going to wrap this bad boy up right here. I will give you guys my top 10 teams list at the top of my next episode. Uh, I'll be sure to do that before week eight because I know I missed last week. So I will do I will do my top 10 teams immediately. Um, you'll probably you'll probably hear with my reaction of the NBA games and so forth. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. Always remember two choice, one decision. Peace, deuces. I am out.